We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lekumski coming to you from New Athens, Illinois. And this is Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark coming to you from Ascension Lutheran Church in picturesque South St. Louis. And just getting ready for maybe the most important week of the year, isn't it, Matt? Holy Week will start tomorrow. Have you guys got special services going on? Yeah, do you have special? No, not at all. You're not celebrating Easter this year. No, we thought you? we'd take Easter off this year, <laughs> Yeah, <John. laughs> you know, it's just too much. After all that long Lent, you don't oh, have yeah. any energy anymore. <laughs> so just real quick, Matt, what, what are your services going to no, be? Is, this is what it's all about. This is what we're building yeah. up to, right, John? And yeah. I, I think uh, this makes, the, the Lent makes that celebration of, of Easter in particular that much more joyful and sweet. So, so we don't want to leave out Easter. No way. No, yeah. No. Um, so yeah, uh, we're gathering together, especially uh, Holy Week, um, Monday, Thursday, two services, one in the morning with our school children at Word of Life, and then one in the evening uh, at 6.30 in the evening with Holy Communion. Uh, Friday, a, a special service, I, and our listeners can tune into this no matter where you live. Uh, we have our circuit sponsors what's called a Traore service, so that means three hours. Uh, so those three hours of darkness when Jesus is on the cross from noon to three, we have a church service that lasts three hours. And I know that sounds like a lot, uh, but uh, what happens is we have nine different pastors uh, who rotate in 20 minute segments. So you're always hearing a different voice, different message, different music, uh, and it goes by quickly. Um, that's going to be on KFUO radio live. Oh, so you cool. can tune in locally here in St. Louis, AM850. Uh, you can tune in uh, on online as well, no matter where you live. So check that out. Uh, it's a neat service, again, from noon to three on Good Friday. So uh, so I want to make note of that. And then, yeah, in the evening, we have our, our Ten Embrace service. Uh, and then we don't do an Easter vigil. I know many churches do, and I know your, your church did in New Athens for many years, John. Um uh, but then we do have a sunrise service on Easter Sunday. So 6.30 what, what time? 6.30 a.m. Uh, God willing, we'll worship outside. Our church is right across from beautiful uh, Francis Park. Uh, so we'll see the sunrise over the park and worship outside. Uh, and the sunrise, just like uh, the, the women discover the tomb empty, yeah. uh, the break of yeah. dawn. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, and I've often wondered about those women. Why didn't they just sleep in like the rest of us disciples? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but, okay. So, so man, we have a couple things. I, I, one thing to do before we get on to the subject that we want to talk about today, because we, we had that passage about Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem, and I just wanted to share something I thought was really neat about Jesus' statement, Behold, your house is forsaken. He says, behold, yeah. your house is forsaken. Um, and I was surprised to see that the word Jesus used there was a fiemi, a fiemi. Um, and what's what's interesting about the word fiemi is it literally means simply to release someone. That's that's the root mm -hmm, meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and see, I don't like the translation forsaken uh, because what does is, what is Jesus cry out from the cross? My God, my God. 
Yeah, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. But see, this isn't the same word. Different word. The, the word that Jesus cries out is a total different word. Because uh, the picture here is not that Jesus says, well, what you said a couple of times last week, right? In fact, you said Jesus isn't saying, no, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. Uh, and so when you translate it forsaken, that's actually the impression we're given, that Jesus finally lost his patience. I've had enough with you. That's it. Your house is forsaken. But actually what the word means is that I, I'm releasing you from, from whatever obligations and covenant we had. What's going on here is the same thing that happens when the prodigal son comes to the father and says, give me my share of the inheritance I want to leave. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. not, that the, not that the father's forsaking the son, not at all. No, in fact, we know from that story, the father, all the father wants is like you said last week, like, like David, I just want to have my son back in my arms. Yeah. I want to be here and celebrate with my son. But if, if you have to go, then I, I release you. So so when people hear that, please understand, Jesus is not saying that he is forsaking their house. But he is saying, if, and that's what they said, right? I would gather you, but you would not. Well, okay. All right, then, then, then I release you if that's what you want. But just yeah. understand it's not what Jesus wants. And here's the other thing that's neat about that word, me. It's Luke's favorite word for forgiveness. You know, like when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, it's always your sins are a me. You're released from your sins, see? And and I, I'm not arguing with the translators here. Obviously, Jesus is not. But but I do think if you were a, a, a Greek and you were reading this, you would think, isn't that interesting that he uses the word forgiveness here? Because I think that's the whole point. It's, it's what you said last week so beautifully, Matt. Uh, God doesn't desire the death of the wicked but that they would repent and live. That's all God wants to do. He just wants to forgive people. But of course, if you if you don't want that forgiveness, then what, what can God do, right? Yeah. So yeah. any thoughts about that, man? No, that's good. Yeah. I, so Jesus certainly not praising the, the people for their rejection of, of him or the prophets or anything like that, but, but I think you, it reveals Jesus' heart for these people uh, when you look at that Ephiami uh, word a little more deeply, that this is, yeah, he knows that if they continue in their unrepentance, it's going to re- lead to judgment. <laughs> uh, but that's not what he desires. What he desires is that they turn and be gathered to him and repent and live. And I think with that added insight from that word, that just uh, boy, it punctuates that a little more for us. Uh, to see the heart with which Jesus is saying those words. C.S. Lewis said something that always impressed me, uh, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. Um, yeah. And what he meant by that is God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But there are people who who make that choice. That And, and so the doors are really locked from the inside. They're keeping God out. Because uh, God would certainly, uh, as you pointed out so well, have gathered them as a hand gathers their chicks. Yeah, um, and and when that happens, God weeps. He laments. Uh, That's not what He wants. Yeah. He desires that we turn, be gathered to Him. Uh, but yet, like you said, John, uh, sometimes we're the ones who reject uh, reject Christ. Thank you, Matt, for that insight. Because 
I've always had this feeling that in that final judgment where Jesus says, depart from me, that he says that with a tear in his eye. And yet I never really had any biblical reference to back that up. But now you're right. That's exactly what he does, doesn't he? He weeps. He weeps over Jerusalem, and he certainly would weep over anybody who would have to, uh, he'd have to say, depart from me. Um all right, so so we do have one other thing we want to do today, uh, uh, and 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 you've been doing this series uh, from Concordia Publishing House. What was it? Witnesses to the Passion. Was yeah, Witnesses to Christ. Okay, Witnesses to Christ. Okay, uh, and and so I was invited to also uh, be part of that. Not not at your church. Thanks a lot. You're all, <laughs> you're always welcome, John. Anytime. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> But but locally, locally, the guys were doing a round robin, and they said, uh, John, why don't you come and participate in this uh, Lenten series that we have? Um, and um, <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, this will be great, because there's like some really nice uh, uh, people. Uh, did, what did you do? What, what are some of the really big figures that you yeah, did? So, yeah, yeah. So it's people that actually were witnesses to Jesus' passion, uh, who were there, you know, seeing and hearing those things. So we have people like... Peter, and we've got Mary, and uh, uh, Pontius Pilate. So yeah, there's big names, people that we know uh, from the scriptures. Uh, Pilate's even in the Apostles' Creed. So yeah, these are big names that we're looking at. Yeah, big big names, and so when we're having our initial <laughs> our initial Zoom meeting, uh, everyone looks at me and says, "Hey, John, why don't you take Malchus?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know that's the thing. You talk about big names. We don't even know the name of this guy until towards the end when John finally writes his gospel. You know, who knows how many years that was? You know, up to that point, it was just some guy who got his ear cut off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, give me Malchus. Um, but but here's the thing, Matt. It turns out that that was actually a pretty good gig. Uh, did you know that that story about the guy who got his ear cut off is actually recorded in all four gospels? Isn't that interesting? And yeah. that, that's rare, you know. Not even you know most miracles. I think there's only one that's in all four gospels: the feeding of the five thousand. So. To, for something to be recorded in all four, it's it's got to be significant, right? So I figure it's got to be important if the Holy Spirit in, inspires it four times. Uh, but of course, the question then, as I had to preach on it, is why? What, what's so important yep. about this story? Um, well, let's start with Mark, because the answer to that question is why is it important depends on who you ask. So if you don't mind, Matt, let's just read Mark's very short account of the guy who gets his ear cut off, Mark 14. 47. Have you got it there? Okay. Yeah, I've got it right here. Uh, and again, this is this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The night of Jesus' oh, yes. betrayal, his arrest, and this is during his arrest these events take place. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah, Mark 14, 47. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So, so that's Mark's sum and substance. He's not really very helpful in terms of what the significance of this is. In fact, it tickles me. He doesn't only tell us, he doesn't only not tell us the name of the guy whose ears cut off. He doesn't even give us a hint about who cut off the ear. Could have yeah. been somebody standing in the crowd. He says, might have been a clumsy guard or something. Who, who knows, right? Uh, although that's pretty typical of Mark. Uh, the short gospel has very little of the teaching of Jesus, more like the action story yep. of Jesus' life. However, 
Matthew and John, I do think they have they have a point that they want to make. So let's go to them if we could. We'll start with Matthew. Uh, and Matthew tells us what Jesus says when this guy's ear is cut off. So if you could just read uh, verse 52 and 53, I think, Matt, of, okay. of, of uh, chapter 26. Okay. Uh, so the ear is cut off, and then Jesus says to him, um, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the scripture be fulfilled? That it must be so. All right. So so Matthew tells us Jesus' immediate response is, put your sword back into its place. And it's interesting. You've got almost the exact same thing in the Gospel of John. Uh, if you could read John 18. I'm, I'm sorry to make you jump around like this. No, I, uh, uh, but very, well, I know, because you're, you're just so speedy with your Bible passages. <laughs> John, John 18. You've probably got one of those tab Bibles or an electronic Bible. <laughs> Super fat. No, I, I've, I've got my handy handout, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We cheated, didn't we? So it's yes, verse 18 yes, of John. Yes, uh, yes. I'm sorry, verse 11 of John 18. Yeah. It's for the sake of our listeners. We want to keep it moving along here. That's so. right. <laughs> Go to great lengths. Okay, so let's, let's move along. John <laughs> chapter 18. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Malchus. So Jesus said, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So so the first lesson is uh, the church does not advance its cause with the sword. Put the sword away. That's what Jesus says, because uh, that's not how the church does things. We, we don't do it by force and power and might. Uh, and we don't have to because we got something better uh, than, than the, the earthly sword. Uh, Hebrews 4 that tells us that we got something better uh, uh, than the, the earthly sword. You want to read that? Uh, 4 verse 12. Yeah, Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we got the same message in Ephesians six seventeen, And this yeah, brings yeah. back something that you did a, a few months ago for us, that whole armor of God thing. Yeah, and exactly. You, uh, Ephesians 6, take up the helmet of salvation, and here it is, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So, so please, people, uh, and, and we are tempted. We are. Think of all the wars that have been fought in the name of Jesus Christ. Think how often the church today wants to turn to secular power and secular forces uh, to get the job done. But the fact of the matter is, we have a word of God, and that word of God uh, can accomplish things that that worldly administrations could only dream of accomplishing. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you think of all the times that people have tried to convert people to Christianity oh, by at yeah. sword point. And well, no, no, no. Yeah, the only thing that, that that does that is the word. God's the spirit working through the word. That's what creates faith. It's not and, not the sword. And and see it's that's a good example because that can't change the person's heart, can it? Now you can make them do things externally sure. with a sword, but but in terms of actually making them believe it, have it in the heart, no, only the Word of God can do that. Uh, although, see, I think here's the problem for us as Christians, because the sword does have a proper place. Uh, you know, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 13, verse 4. If you want to read that passage, yes, first, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So Paul writes, uh, 
concerning governing governing authorities, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So, so the, the thing is, God, God has two kingdoms in this world. Uh, the one kingdom is the kingdom that you and I work in, the kingdom of the church. Uh, the theologians call it the kingdom of the right. No place for the sword there. Put your sword back in its sheath, Jesus would say. We, we got the word of God. But then again, there's also the kingdom of the governing authorities. Uh, they do bear the sword, and they, they should bear the sword. Uh, uh, and, and as Christians, see, sometimes we're not only under the sword, but we, we, we carry the sword, too don't we, Matt? Uh, can you think of some examples where a Christian might be part of the governing authorities? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, here at Ascension, we have people who serve in the armed forces of our land. Uh, we have a, a young man that was just uh, sent over to Germany uh, just, just recently. Uh, and then locally here, we have people who are police officers. Uh, certainly, they don't carry around a sword, but they do have a gun. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they they have that authority, that God-given authority, ultimately, uh, to be a servant for our good. Uh, they're, they're servants of, of us, servants of God even in that role. And, and trust me, Matt, because I know this from experience, not lately, thank heavens, I've gotten better in my old age, but there was a time when often a policeman might pull me over, oh, no. and trust me, he didn't say, John, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, grace, mercy never once came up, but he, he would give me a warning, so there could be mercy sometimes, but more often than not, it would just be, here's your ticket. Um, let me give you an illustration because this, this tickles me. Uh, I spent most of my life in the kingdom of the right, as we call it, the kingdom of the sure. church, uh, giving the word of God to people. People would come to me to forgiven, to be forgiven. My wife, Lynn, on the other hand, she spent most of her time as a governing authority, the kingdom of the left, the theologians call it, because she was a principal. <laughs> Talk about law. That's well, a principal. Did, did you ever get sent down to the principal's office, Matt? Of course not, John. No, no, we were good, <laughs> other than that Twinkie episode, but we won't go into that. Oh, no, don't go there. <laughs> but if you get sent to the principal's office, do you think you're sent to receive a word of forgiveness? No, no, no. That's no. that's a word of law. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Lynn would say the kids would cry even before she said anything because they knew consequences, right? Punishment. Uh, we were talking about where, where we as Christians hold the sword. You hold the sword because you're a father. I hold the sword because I'm a, a father and grandfather. And we do. We have to discipline the children. Uh, not that we necessarily like that, but it's our job. Unless we uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. But but the cool thing about Lynn is that not only did she get to say, call your parents or you're grounded or, or here's your, your punishment, she also would then speak to them about the love of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And, and so you see, uh, um, she did something that not just made the kids frightened, not made them feel sad, not made them be more careful the next time <laughs> they did something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but but she gave them something, that, and it did. It literally would change their hearts as it's changed your heart and my heart and the heart of the listeners. So that's that's lesson number one from Malchus. Put your sword away, people. The church doesn't need the sword, although as Christians, sometimes we exercise the sword as, as governing authorities. Here's the other thing that's neat, though. Go back, go back, if you would, to that passage from Matthew and read verse 54 
of, of Jesus' words, if you could. Okay, sure. Uh, again, Jesus says, but then how should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And, and then read again verse uh, 11 from the Gospel of John. Sure. Uh, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? So, yeah, yeah, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? I think it's interesting that, that John is the first guy to tell us that it was Malchus, that there was actually a name to the guy who got his ear cut off. And it's also John who's the first guy to tell us who actually did the cutting. Uh, the other gospel writers just say, well, there was some guy there. But yeah, it's Peter. And it is a reminder that Peter is actually making the same mistake he made earlier. Uh, remember what happened earlier when, when Jesus was telling the disciples that this was going to happen, this whole Garden of yep. Gethsemane thing, that they were going to come and seize him. Uh, and remember how Peter responded to that, Matt? Oh, surely not, Lord. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, th this shall never happen to you. And what did Jesus say to Peter then? And then he says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, yeah. You don't have in mind the things of God, but of man. Oh, yeah, a rebuke. So, so I think that's the second lesson of Malchus too. That that uh, we can't stop we can't stop evil from happening in our lives and the lives of the people around us. We we may not like it, uh, but we can't we can't stop it. It's like uh, Jesus says in Matthew, uh, the scriptures have to be fulfilled. And Jesus said, uh, "Take up your cross and follow me." In this world, you'll have have trouble. Uh, but again, I think the comfort then in the story of Malchus is that, yeah, while that's true, while there will be suffering, and you don't need to look for it, people. Don't don't try to find it. It'll find you. And yet, it's I think it's comforting for me, at least, to know that Jesus knows what that suffering is all about, right? Uh, Allah doesn't know. Allah hasn't had a bad day in his life, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, but Jesus knows all about our struggles and trials, even to the point of feeling like he was forsaken, going back to that forsaken word. He, he really was forsaken by his father. Yes. And if you've ever felt that way, and sometimes we have, uh, no, Jesus is there. He understands that. But even better, of course, Jesus overcomes all of those trials and troubles and raises from the dead and ascends into heaven. And that's his promise to us, too, that, that in this world you don't have trouble, but I've overcome the world, he says. And, and uh, that's the great promise that he has for us, too. Yeah. Uh, it, it leaves us with one final lesson, Matt, which I find strange is only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Okay. I would have thought that everybody would have had this, but only Luke tells us this detail. So we'll wrap up here if you could read Luke 22, 50 through 51. Yeah. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And Jesus touched his ear and healed him. Isn't that remarkable, Matt? It no is. One else, it is remarkable. No one else tells us that Jesus healed the ear. I, I just figured they'd all have that. Yeah, you know, is, is Luke, you know, seems to be a physician. You know, maybe, maybe that's why he's got an interest in this. I don't know. Well, I tell you what, I don't know either, but it's really good that he does, doesn't he? Because you, we talked about this text a few weeks ago, right? What did Jesus say you're supposed to do to your enemies? Yeah, well, um... You're, you're supposed to love them, care for them, yeah. pray for them. Yeah, yeah. we took two, two, uh, two three weeks talking about that because that was so striking. And I just think it's cool that Jesus not only talks the talk, but he walks the walk. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because that's what he preaches. Because this guy is an enemy, and, and yet Jesus heals him. He heals him. But here's what's even better than that. 
What one final detail about all four of these accounts? The one thing that all four accounts have, the one detail they all have, is that this guy was a servant, although literally, actually, in the Greek, a slave of the high priest. And I think why that's significant is that reminds us this guy was there for the whole shebang, right? Slaves don't get to lay off work because their ears sore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he was there when they arrested Jesus. No doubt he was there when they shouted, crucify him at the trial. No doubt he was there at the foot of the cross when they were mocking Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said to those people? They were mocking him. Do you remember the beautiful thing Jesus said from the cross? From the cross, you know, finally, Father, forgive them. They know not yeah. what they do. And so now we've gone full cycle to what you were talking about last week, uh, that that's, that's what Jesus does even to his enemies. He says, forgive them. And you had that beautiful passage from Romans, Romans 5.10. You want to share that with us real quick? Yeah. Uh, for while we were enemies, uh, we were reconciled by God by the death of his son. How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? This has been Wrestling, Wrestling with, with the Basics. The basics.